This is KPFA or KPFB Berkeley KFCF in Fresno, kpfa.org. It's 3 o'clock. Please stay tuned for Stone's Throw on Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone coming up next. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. The shadow out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is October the 2nd, 2007. October already. Oh, yes, the witch, the witches, witch, witch, I wonder. Okay, wonderful good news. We have some good news. Nicole Sawaya, the lovely Lebanese lady. Ah, Nicole Sawaya has come back to us. She is the executive director of Pacifica. <laughs> She's going to be right next door here, right next door to KPFA. Ah, uh, okay, ah. Uh, I'll talk more about Nicole some other time. I just wanted to welcome her back because it was a terrible thing when we lost Nicole. And uh, I hope that all that is just blood under the bridge and that she will be happy here. Uh, Oh, dear, dear, dear. We can never go back and fix things. But anyway, uh, welcome back, Nicole. Uh... Today is, yes, today is the second, and um, that means that uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti will be at Moe's tonight at 7.30. Good God, Lawrence Ferlinghetti is 88 years old, folks. I asked him to call in, but I don't know if he got the message. I asked him to call the radio station and tell us what he's got planned for tonight. But anyway, it's a free event. 7.30, Moe's Books. Everybody knows where Moe's Books is. It's south side of campus here in Berkeley on Telegraph Avenue between Haste and Dwight. Okay, yes, indeed. And I was going to ask him what he thinks about the article in the current New Yorker about the beat generation. Personally, I had a little trouble with it myself. Yes, personally, I I was very upset by this article because, most of all, because it compared the Beat Generation to uh, Frank Sinatra's Rat Pack. Now, that's just got to be all wrong. Uh, I would compare, if you have to compare to actors, it uh, would be the beat actors. Uh, Marlon Brando, Montgomery Cliff, you know, the sort of thing. Anyway, uh, (laughs) 
Ah, Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Who else remembers Edna St. Vincent Millay? Ah, I remember reading his uh, early collection, Coney Island of the Mind, a Coney Island of the Mind, back when I was a, a schoolgirl at Mills College, an undergrad. Josephine Miles was our, uh, what is it, reference point. Uh, remember her remarkable poetry. Dr. Pope, we had a teacher called Dr. Pope. Dr. Pope eventually became head of the English department at Mills. Uh, they had a great many things to say about the beat poets. Uh, it was all very refreshing and exciting back then. I don't know what history is going to do with the uh, beat poets. I would like to read you just a little bit of the piece in the uh, New Yorker. Just as a point of reference, uh, actually, I'd rather read to you from a collection of uh, essays on the beat women, the women of the beat generation. Uh, <laughs> yes, the Bolinas Bucolics. Oh, the wonderful Joanne Kiger here. Yes, Joanne Kiger out in. She says, Robert Duncan called us the Bolinas Bucolics. Uh, Joanne Kiger, see, um, let me read you a quote from a friend of mine, Alicia Ostricker. Uh, uh, this was after Joanne Kiger's second book, Places to Go. It was published in 1970 by Black Sparrow Press. And Alicia Ostricker wrote in the Partisan Review, quote, Risking folly, let us propose that Joanne Kiger is a genius, though a weird one. Handling her work is like handling a porcupine traveling at the speed of light. She is not disciplined, quotes disciplined, but is a radically original combination of symbolist and comedian. <laughs> anyway, Joan Kiger is still living in Bolinas, and uh, she's the editor of a local paper called the Hearsay News. Fabulous little... Uh, little piece of paper. I just love to look at that Bolinas hearsay news. <laughs> anyway, uh, let me let me just do a little, what would we call it, just an elliptical glance at this piece in the New Yorker. It's called The Critics, and uh, it's by Louis Menand, M-E-N-A-N-D. I never know how to pronounce his name. It's What the Beats Were About, a critic at large. The title of the article is Drive... He wrote, of course, that's a reference to On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Come back, Jack. It's in the New Yorker for October the 1st, 2007. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, beatific, beatific blues. I remember the beatific blues. I hope I do not um, smother you with nostalgia. Uh, anyway, uh Allen Ginsberg once observed that the social organization which is most true of itself to the artist is the boy gang. Oh, Lord, it's a sentiment that Frank Sinatra would have appreciated in the time of Howl and On the Road. It was also the time of Frank Sinatra sings for only the lonely. Oh, dear. Now, that's all wrong. Anyway, he goes on to say that uh, the beat movement writers and the rap Rack pack entertainers were shapers of a similar sensibility. No, no, no. Okay. 
this part isn't so bad. He writes, when On the Road came out in September 1957, oh, yes, I remember, it was praised in the New York Times as the novel of the Beat Generation, equivalent in stature and significance to The Sun Also Rises, the novel of the Lost Generation. (laughs) Once again, they've got it wrong. Footnotes, footnotes. I have heard Lawrence Ferlinghetti say that he was not uh, a beat poet, not at all. He had a different uh, sensibility. And that expression, lost generation, is another one that gets, um, oh, gets lost in the confusion. The lost generation is a term we got from Gertrude Stein. And she said she got it from a French uh, innkeeper. And he told her that the lost generation was made up of the young men who had gone off to war at 17 and had come of age, you know, in their early 20s, away from home, away from family and the older people and away from women. And therefore, they were uncivilized and thus a lost generation. That sounds right to me. Anyway, let's go on a bit with... um, Louis Menand's critic, uh, critic, oh dear. He says that On the Road was a bestseller, and it made Jack Kerouac a celebrity. He'd worked on it for ten years, and uh, it is sometimes said of Kerouac that fame killed him, that he was driven crazy by being continually addressed as the spokesman for a generation, and by endless unwelcome requests to explain the meaning of the term beat. <laughs> well, Kerouac was certainly undone by something. Uh, again, footnote here. Anybody with any sense knows it was the booze, alcohol. Anyway, uh, the article goes on to say, After the success of On the Road, he continued to write at a manic pace, as he always had. But he became a suicidal alcoholic. There you go correct. He became a suicidal alcoholic and he died of a hemorrhage caused by acute liver damage in 1969, age of 47. He had by then written more than 25 books. Ah, anyway, the notion of the Beat generation was hardly thrust upon him, though. Beat is old carny slang. According to Beat Movement legend... And it is a movement with a deep inventory of legend. Ginsburg and Kerouac picked it up from a character named Herbert Hunkel, H-U-N-C-K-E, a gay street hustler and drug addict from Chicago, who began hanging around Times Square in 1939 and introduced William Burroughs to heroin, an important cultural moment indeed. The term has nothing to do with music. It names the condition of being beaten down, poor, exhausted, at the bottom of the world. And it is often used in this sense in On the Road. In 1948, Kerouac is supposed to have remarked, You know, this is really a beat generation, followed by a spooky, only the shadow knows laugh. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men, the shadow do, and then there's this terrible laugh that I won't try to imitate. (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's see. 
Kerouac has, of course, been credited with the term Beat Generation. Uh, let's see. Um, that's in an article in Time Magazine, the Times Magazine from New York Times in 1952, referring to a Cold War generation, yes. Beat Generation, Cold War Generation, Disillusioned by War, Bomb, Cold Peace. Uh, what he says that uh, Kerouac was really obsessed with is the question of how life should be lived. There you go. Uh, let's see. The Beats were optimists, risk takers, seekers, young people with a desperate craving for belief. There you go. Anyway, um Beat Generation was one of the early titles for On the Road. Uh, another early title was Shades of the Prison House. After the book came out, he wrote a play called Beat Generation and an article for Esquire on the philosophy of the Beat Generation. Okay, anyway, at that point, uh, he added beatific to the meanings of beat. Now, when I was a Schoolgirl, we all said beatific, the beatific poets. I don't know, I, I, uh, I always thought that was probably the first definition, but maybe not. Uh, interviews all the way up to the end of his life, Kerouac talked about his conception of the beat generation and the literary movement associated with it. He spoke proudly, affectionately, and defensively. In his final appearance on television, a falling-down drunk performance on William F. Buckley's firing line, he insisted that his idea of beatness had nothing to do with the hippies, whom he despised. Well, I don't know that there was much evidence that he despised them, but it could be. Uh, those of you who are historians will remember there was a book we read in the late 50s, uh, the... Uh, the book that pathologized the Beat Generation it was by the sociologist uh, Lawrence Lipton. It was called The Holy Barbarians. A uh, book, more recent book, Venice West. Um, you know, everyone had a spin on the Beat Generation. Uh, anyway, Lewis Maynard goes on to write in this article in The New Yorker for October the 1st, 2007, that it is true that beat writers were caricatured and abused. By the way, there's a terrific picture here, a picture of Kerouac. Oh, yes, uh, with some notes on it from Allen Ginsberg. Uh, most all gone now. Anyway, um, he, uh, Lewis Maynard goes on to say, in the literary world, Academic critics whose aesthetic was all about form and restraint ignored the beats. The New York intellectuals whose ethic was all about complexity and responsibility, they attacked the beats. Irony was the highbrow virtue of the day, and the beats had none. Now, that is the damnedest statement uh, to say that the beat generation had no irony. <laughs> this response... I, I guess I see what he means. I think he's referring to the the innocence, the purity. Uh, anyway, this response probably did matter a little to Ginsburg and Kerouac, he goes on to say. 
They were Columbia boys, and they had genuine literary aspirations. They wanted to be taken seriously. On the other hand, they could hardly have lived in hope of the approval of people like Diana Trilling and Norman Podoritz. In the entertainment world, Beat was transmuted into Beatnik, uh, a word invented in 1958 by the San Francisco Chronicle columnist Herb Cain. Term derives from Sputnik, which was launched into space a month after the publication of On the Road. Why is a beatnik like Sputnik? They are both far out. <laughs> I remember in 1958, I remember seeing graffiti on the wall uh, down on Telegraph Avenue. Graffiti that said, in quotes, yes, far out. Actually, if you go back and look in uh, your Shakespeare, you will find the expression far out used to mean what it means today. Uh, Anyway, Lewis Menand goes on to say, uh, the type, Beatnik, was made immortal by the character Maynard G. Krebs on the television series The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. Now, there we go. That's completely off. Off base as far as I'm concerned. Yes, everyone has his own or her own spin on these things. Uh, anyway... He goes on to say that lampooning is merely the price of mass attention. Satire and polemic are, on some level, always defensive. Uh, it's possible that something about the beat simply made people uncomfortable. <laughs> For the 1950s images of the beat, partisan reviews, bohemian nihilist, and Hollywood's hip hedonist, yes, they are almost complete inversions of the character types represented in On the Road. This is true enough. Uh, on the Road is not about hipsters looking for kicks, not about subversives and nonconformist rebels without a cause who point the way for the radicals of the 60s. The book is not an anti-intellectual celebration of spontaneity or an artifact of literary primitivism. It is a sad and somewhat self-consciously lyrical story about loneliness, insecurity, and failure. It's also a story about guys who want to be with other guys. The beat movement had a male muse. This was, of course, Neil Cassidy. Okay, In this book I have in front of me about the uh, women of the Beat genera generation, there's uh, Neil Cassidy's wife. Uh, fantastic. I, If I don't have time to read that today, I plan to read it next week because these women, they were what I would call the foundation, the base. They held these guys up and took care of them. Uh, anyway, Neil Cassidy is the protagonist of both On the Road, where he is Dean Moriarty, and Howell, where he is N.C., secret hero of these poems, Coxman and Adonis of Denver. Cassidy also figures in several of Kerouac's other books, five of Kerouac's road novels are being published this fall. Oh, yes, a $35 collection, Library of America. That's an important one. Okay. His iconic presence went beyond the beats. 
He became a friend of Ken Kesey, driver on the Merry Prankster's famous bus trip, subject of Tom Wolfe's The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. The Grateful Dead wrote a song about him. Oh, let's see. Neil Cassidy was an uncanny cross between James Dean and W.C. Fields. I don't buy that one either. It was a screw-up with a profile. A stud with an endless supply of goofy gab. There is sufficient testimony concerning his sexual endowment to overcome the skepticism normally uh, advisable on that topic. Some people who knew and liked him called him a con man. And many people, including William Burroughs, disliked and avoided him. But this seems misleading. Uh, Neil Cassidy was a serial seducer and therefore uh, uh, inveterately untrustworthy. He grew up on the Denver streets. His father was a wino. He learned to cope by relying on his enormous energy, adaptive wit, and good looks. He charmed people in order to get what he needed, and he was generally in need of something. On the other hand, the people he charmed generally needed something from him, sex or companionship or good times. Cassidy had no material ambitions. He was content to get by. And although he had three wives in rapid succession and juggled his attentions between them and assorted casual girlfriends, he was intermittently serious about all of them. Everything about Cassidy was uh, intermittent. He had a kind of sociosexual ADD. I wouldn't say rapid succession. I believe the... Uh, Carolyn Cassidy was 14 years. Anyway, uh, as I said, this article uh, is definitely one man's spin. He goes on to say, Kerouac and Ginsburg met Cassidy in New York. Uh, 1946, around Christmas time, New York City, yes. He goes on to talk about um, their initial meeting and uh, the young women. <laughs> yes. Oh, he was accompanied by his 16-year-old wife, Luann. She's Mary Lou in On the Road. Uh, yes, Cassidy was 20. Wife, 16. Dear me. Um, Neil Cassidy claimed to have stolen 500 cars when he was a teenager, all for joy rides. He'd gone to reform school where he developed an enthusiasm for books. There, you see. Prison can be so youth useful. Uh, and they go on. This article goes on to describe uh, love affairs with Ginsburg and uh, uh, Kerouac. Uh, let's see, he befriended Kerouac. All right, there's no indication that they were lovers. That one I leave. Uh, I leave to people with more imagination than I have. Uh, the article goes on to say, fundamentally on the road is autobiographical. It's a report with pseudonyms for legal reasons. Uh, anyway, uh, apparently Kerouac synthesized four long-distance trips. Uh, once he took the bus, once he hitchhiked by himself. Uh, anyway, he condensed all of these... Uh, Another trip from Denver to Mexico City. There are plenty of books about Jack Kerouac's actual travels. Um, these are all listed in the article. Um, 
In fact, Kerouac had begun the book long before his first trip with Cassidy. Uh, he kept detailed journals, and he struggled for a long time to find a proper form for his narrative. Yes, the on the road, yes, the, what do we call that? Uh, oh, the body book. Anyway, he finally dropped his idea of a conventional novel and simply wrote down what happened. Uh, there was something, a celebrated scroll, a continuous length of paper, supposed to be 120 feet long, on which Kerouac tri- typed the first complete draft of the book in three weeks in April in 1951, with the assistance of his second wife, Joan Haverty, and lots of coffee. Not, as legend has it, Benzedrine, which is not to say that Kerouac was a stranger to amphetamines. Uh, Now, he immediately retyped the book on regular paper and then spent six years revising it. (laughs) Yes. There is an edition uh, called On the Road, the Original Scroll, uh, from Viking. <laughs> uh, that I think that might be fun to have. What I would like to do, of course, get up in front of a class or have students get up in front of a class and read from the scroll. Uh, the point is, of course, that Kerouac did not create the published book in a single burst of inspiration. It was the deliberate and arduous labor of years, which, as far as I'm concerned, uh, is all to the good. Uh, <laughs> ah, this article goes on to talk at great length about literature of the road, um, mentioning Woody Guthrie's autobiography, Bound for Glory. That one was published in 1943. That one is more oaky than jivey, but it aspires to the same beatness and the same lyricism of place. On the Road is as self-consciously a work of literature as... Uh, Oh, another whole list of books. Um, we get down to um, Jackson Pollock, right. Jackson Pollock knew that he was not making an easel painting. With all the aesthetic assumptions that that uh, implies, yes, he put the canvas on the floor and poured paint on it. Now, I don't know if that is an apt comparison. Perhaps it is, yes, uh Kerouac credited the inspiration for the scroll to Cassidy, specifically to a long letter, supposedly around 13,000 words, that Cassidy wrote over several days when he was on speed. That was in December 1950, also known as the Joan Letter, because its ostensible subject is a girlfriend of Cassidy's named Joan Anderson. But the letter, or the portion of it that survives, the original is lost, a holy beat relic, is actually a hyper-funny, uninhibited account of Cassidy's sexual misadventures with a different girlfriend. (laughs) It has no stylistic pretensions. It's just a this-happened-and-then-that-happened piece of personal correspondence. Okay. So, it is obvious that uh, the, what is it, minutia, the details are fascinating, um, as well as the nostalgia. Everyone who cares about the beats will want all these details, uh, especially the stuff about cars and, uh, 
yes, all the material about what um, Kerouac's psychic state was in the 50s. He was referred to as a sensitivo. I remember that. Yes, we called people sensitivos. Uh, uh, this writer, this critic, seems to think that On the Road is lyrical, gushing, excessive prose. Yes. Hmm. Very strange. He even mentions um, Lolita. None of that rings a bell with me. What rings a bell with me is a mention of a television show called The Steve Allen Show. Um, the critic in the New Yorker thought that Steve Allen was unbelievably annoying because he kept playing his piano. He'd doodle around on the piano while he talked to his guests. Anyway, Steve Allen liked Kerouac. Uh, and uh, Kerouac said, I think, the best things he ever said about the Beat Generation on that show. What he did was expose himself uh, he expressed male vulnerability, and that, I have to tell you, knocked us on our ear. Back in those days, the beasts were the men who wrote about their feelings. That is something, <laughs> that is something we never thought we'd see. Uh, once again, I've been taking some notes from the New Yorker, October the 1st, 2007, an article on the beat generation, uh, thinking about uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who will be on, uh, who will be giving a reading tonight at Moe's Books here in Berkeley. Now, till Thursday at uh, 8.20, this has been Jennifer Stone. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can.